Well, good morning. Great to see all of you again today. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah chapter 2. In just a moment, we will be there. But before we jump into the text today to study together, I don't know if you realize, but tomorrow is First Responders Day. And that means that it's a day for our nation to honor those who respond in times of emergency. And our Senate passed this a while back that we would recognize this day, which is tomorrow. And so today we want to honor you as well. So if you are a first responder by way of police or fire, EMT, people that when emergency strikes, you're called, please stand to your feet. We want to honor you. We also want to pray over you today. So please stand. Also, if you're retired, that we'll, we'll count that too. Any first responders? Yeah, right on. Thank you. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 2, it's the moment you've always waited for. You have those type of moments where you were hoping to have a conversation or hoping to encounter something or experience something. And finally, that moment has come. In Nehemiah's time, this was a moment where he was optimistic and desiring to have a presence with the king. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king, which means he is the man who is going to test the food and drink that the king would consume and make sure that it's safe and not poisoned. It's critical to have a man of trust in that position, and so Nehemiah had earned that position of trust. He also serves then as like a counselor to the king. He's going to be a man who's obviously, by serving in the palace, he's also going to have all the daily uh, acknowledgments of administration and learn a tremendous amount about what it looks like to lead groups of people. So as we have begun this study in the book of Nehemiah, and today we get to the book of, or excuse me, a chapter 2. I want to remind you, though, as we look at the book of Nehemiah, what are we looking at in, in kind of the big picture? Obviously, it's a construction project we're about to embark on here in a moment to re, start rebuilding walls of a city that's broken down and the gates have been burned. And we know the history from that when in the Babylonian Empire came in and crushed the city and God allowed that to happen by means of discipline to the nation of Israel that what God had promised would happen, it did. And that is, if you forsake me and turn to false gods and idols and you forsake the ordinances and the testimonies of the law of the Lord, then God would disperse the nation of Israel. And that's what he did. So God has held up true exactly what he said. God also said, though, that after the dispersion, I will send you back to rebuild. And in Ezra's day, they went back to rebuild the temple, and temple worship had been reestablished. However, the city is still broken down without walls. Many years have passed by, and it's still laying in ruin. So as we observe this book, what is it about? Well, we can look at it from a very practical standpoint of our own lives where sometimes brokenness takes place in our lives. We, we might give ourselves over to idolatry or we might be kind of collateral damage where maybe the things that happened around us where others have given themselves over to idolatry and, and through discipline, difficult things happen. We might have even been victims of some things at times that have really impacted us in our life. And so now we've we might be in a spot where we're like the city broken down without walls. And as Proverbs 25, 28 says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. What this means is if, I, if, if I'm out of bounds emotionally, I'm up and I'm down and I'm up and I'm down and I just can't, I can't seem to figure this thing out. It's like, why do I coast along and everything seems to be good for a while, then sometimes I just tank. And I don't understand why that is. Why do I go to this place? And if that's the case for you, then this is going to be a great study. 
And matter of fact, today might even be helpful because what God desires for you to be is where you have your walls and your gates are secure in your life. Isaiah describes walls and gates this way. He says that your walls are your salvation and your gates are praise. And it's likening this city to the very spiritual aspect of our lives where we are secure in our salvation and we know who we are as a son of God. We know who we are in terms of our eternal destiny. We understand God's plans for us, God's purpose for us, God's mission for us. We understand our eternal scope in terms of we will be with the Lord in glory. We understand the, the confidence that we can have in the Lord. And that's that salvation that is secure. You know what happens when we become insecure is whenever we're not sure about maybe who God is. And our, we question maybe even the character of God. We might question our salvation. Have I done something that might send me out? That I've, I've made so many mistakes in my life that maybe I'm not even a real Christian. And our salvation is insecure. God wants it to be secure. He wants those walls fixed. But he also, those gates of praise, that when the gates are fixed in our lives, then our, it becomes those controlled points of access where we then praise the Lord and can give thanks even in difficult times. But it's also controlled points where on the inside there's some boundaries that are set that are safe. And we know when to shut the door and give praise and to give thanks and to supplications before the Lord as well. And so this book has so many components to it. And as we look at today, we're going to see it in a personal application of our own lives being like a city broken down without walls. We're also going to see today through the, through the lens of someone coming before a king and making requests... And it would be likened then for us to come before our king making a request in prayer. So we can learn some things from that. But there's also the component of just pure leadership. Nehemiah is an incredible leader. He has learned some amazing things by being in the palace. God's done a work in his heart to now be preparing to go rebuild a city. And now he's going to do what leaders do. And we can see some great leadership principles really through this whole book, but even today. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king, because that's his job, he's the cupbearer, that's what he should do. Now the reason I draw attention to this is because it's the month Nisan, which is in the, in the time frame of March-April. The reason this matters is because Nehemiah received the bad news about the, the circumstance of the city of Jerusalem still being broken down and without walls and still being in this place of reproach. He received that news back in December, November, December time frame. So three, four months has passed by and he has not yet had the conversation with the king that I'm sure he has longed to have. We don't know the reasons why he hasn't had it. Maybe the king has been gone. Maybe just the timing hasn't been right. But at this moment, this is the moment he's been waiting for. Here it is. He's been waiting and waiting and waiting. And while he's waiting, what has he been doing? We learned last week, praying and fasting, praying and fasting, praying and fasting. Why? Because there's coming a moment he, he plans to be before the king and make his request. God's been doing some things in his heart. God exposed a need that needs to be met. God has exposed it to Nehemiah and compelled him now with passion that he is to go back and lead the building project in Jerusalem. The obstacle is the king. What if the king doesn't give him passage? What if the king gives him no provision? What if this whole conversation with the king goes terrible? 
So he's been praying for three to four months over this matter and praying specific about this conversation with the king because this is the key to the whole process of being able to even get started. Otherwise, he's at zero. As I consider this carefully, for all of us, when it comes to those moments where God stirs in our heart and there's something going on there, and we may be even very broken over some things in our own life or the lives of others, that there's a season of waiting where we're trying to understand there's a season of waiting for the perfect moment of conversation. There's those, the time of waiting. It's always hard. Our microwave society doesn't like waiting. Everything has to be instantaneous. We have instant messenger, instant everything. And matter of fact, if you send a message and don't get one back instantaneously, then you wonder if your relationship's okay. Everything is instant. In Nehemiah's day, he just needed to wait on the Lord for the perfect moment to have a conversation that's key to this entire process. The scripture teaches us in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, that they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not get weary. They shall walk and not faint. Why? Because they waited on the Lord so the perfect provision and the perfect protection and everything of, the, of God, the power of God, is what will guide. And Psalm 46 teaches us about being still. Nehemiah had a season to be still before the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. Know that I will be exalted among the heathen is what Psalm 46 teaches. Maybe this morning in any of our hearts today, the prayer request would be, that God would pray, to, that we would pray, that God would ready our heart for whatever God would be leading us to do next. Maybe God's stirring in your heart about areas to rebuild. Maybe some things have slid away or have become broken down and the controlled points of access aren't there the same way that maybe they used to be. Maybe the Lord is pressing in our hearts today that when we need to pray in preparation for conversations that are key maybe for right resources of people and provisions of things open doors who knows pray that God would also protect from wicked and unreasonable people if God's giving compelling you in ministry as we know in Scripture, because the theme of the Bible is between a king and his kingdom, and there's always the opposing counterfeit king. Anytime God's on the move, there's always opposition to what God's doing, and that we would pray, as Paul admonished to pray, that wicked and unreasonable men would not have any power or authority in my life. That's going to be key here, because we're going to see opposition come in Nehemiah as soon as he gets started. The waiting is key. God's preparing something. He's preparing you. He's preparing me. Right now, the waiting is key. When the moment finally comes, though, it's time to be bold. Now, I want you to consider this even right now in terms of your coming to the Lord. One of the beautiful things with our Lord is as we pray, we don't have to wait for a special moment to come to God. Nehemiah had to wait for a, a moment to speak to the king. We can come boldly to the throne of grace anytime we have need for grace and mercy. And we are, as a matter of fact, told to come boldly to the throne of grace and make our requests known. Nehemiah did not have that luxury because he had to make sure his countenance was right. It was not lawful for him to be of sorrow in the presence of a king. So if his face looks sad, he's got to fake it. 
<laughs> You've got to get it together because you're dead if you don't have the right face on. But I want you to see what happens here because Nehemiah is in such sorrow of heart. He's willing to risk it all to get before the king, knowing that what could possibly come. As we continue, it says, Now I had never been sad in the presence, his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tomb, lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? And Nehemiah now makes an appeal to the king of the plight of his nation and his people in the city by the name of the great God and wants to do something about it. And he's crushed. And he makes an appeal to honor, I believe, with the king by mentioning something about the tombs because to just mention about a city, eh, it's been lying in ruins for years. Why is it a big deal? But to make an appeal over the fact that this is my father's tombs would have, would have rang in the ears of the king because it's a, mo a moment of honor. It would be very obvious that Nehemiah had earned such respect with King Artaxerxes that though it was unlawful for him to have this sad countenance, sad countenance that he wasn't sentenced to death, though he should have been. Instead, King Artaxerxes wants to hear his request and understand what's the problem. This is so cool when you think of it in terms of our prayer life because we have this unlimited access to our Father. I never have to put on any veneer for God. I can speak very directly and distinctly of the problems that are in my life and whatever's happening and whatever, whatever I'm feeling. Matter of fact, David says this more than once as he's writing in the Psalms. He said, I made my complaint before God. He just takes it to the Lord. says, Lord, this is what's happening. This doesn't seem fair to me. I don't understand. I don't sleep. I don't eat. Nothing ever seems right. And what do I do with all this? And he just takes it to the Lord. There's no need for veneer. It's okay to have the sad countenance. You know, something else I learned here is the king was acknowledging the sorrow of, of Nehemiah and acknowledged it. And I think this is a great power of ministry that we have a chance to be a blessing. God is going to use a pagan king to be an incredible blessing, not only to Nehemiah, but God's people. And God is using any one of us in this room in the same capacity. When you observe and see someone of sad countenance, they're not sick, they're of a broken heart. And you can see it in their face. And you just simply ask, is everything okay? Can I help you? Is there something that I could pray with you about? And all of a sudden, you may end up with a whole storyline coming back your direction. But it gives you the opportunity then to be the channel of blessing where God can now speak into someone's life using you as the tool in the same way he's going to use King Artaxerxes to accomplish his purpose with Nehemiah and ultimately an entire group of people. As he comes to the king now, he makes his um, request very specific. It's a send me request. In verse 4 it says, Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Notice the instantaneous prayer. He's been praying for months. He's been praying for this moment. And now all of a sudden the king responded exactly the way he hoped he would respond and prayed that he would respond. And the king says, Nehemiah, what is your request? And he stops right on the spot and prays. I doubt he bowed his head. I doubt he closed his eyes. It was probably like many of us when you're walking into an, an important meeting or a conversation. And as you're walking across the parking lot or driving down the street, 
or you've been sitting in an office and you've just received some news and you just instantly begin to talk to the Lord and your eyes are wide open and you may even be having a conversation with someone else while inside you're talking to God. I have been there so many times where I've walked into these meeting scenarios where I had no idea what's going to happen next and, and you just you pray as you walk in and while you're standing there processing a lot of things or sitting in the presence of people and you're just talking to the Lord of, Lord, give me the right words to speak. Lord, help me to know when to be quiet. Lord, what is it that you're doing here? And Lord, help me be a blessing in this spot. And Lord, I need a provision and make it very specific. I remember walking into a spot one time when we were in process of adopting Halliana and uh, we were in great need of a document. And this is not a complex document. This is me walking into a police station um, in China and asking for a background check on me by the local police. This should not be complicated. If I've committed a crime, I would be behind bars. I haven't. I'm standing here. This is not hard. And so I asked for this background check, and they said, no, we cannot. Well, why not? Well, we don't know if you've ever committed a crime or not. Uh, well, if I had, would I not be in trouble? Well, yes, but maybe you have somewhere else. Well, then I would be in trouble there. I don't understand the problem. And so I'm praying, Lord, I, I need help here. I don't know what else to do. I've, I've said all I could say. I've spoken logic into the matter. I don't know what else to do here. Well, then we had to wait. I got nothing that day. I, I got sent home with nothing in hand. And about six weeks went by. Amy and I were waiting. We were beginning to think that, you know what, we're one document from ever being able to adopt our daughter. And we're getting nothing here. Now, finally, I get a call one day that I, the opportunity to now go back to the police station again, try again. So I went back in. And I remember walking, as I was walking in, Amy and I have been praying, we've been waiting, we've been going through this whole process like Nehemiah has been. And I remember walking into that station, I'm standing there, and I, I asked, made my request again, very specific. I need this document, this is what it needs to say, and this is how we need to go about it. And the person said, wait one moment. And I, oh great, here we go again. We need to get the supervisor and this is going to be complicated. And so they come back and the supervisor's standing there. But while the supervisor was coming, Lord, please ready this man's heart that he would see what he needs to see, ignore what he needs to ignore, but he would just have a tender heart for what you're doing in our family and that he would see it well. And he would give me the document today. Well, they come in, flop out this huge file on me, which is a little intimidating. But and then at the end of the day, he gave me the signature, the big stamps on it, handed it off. And the process towards adoption is now in full motion. I know I've done this so many times, guys, in the Nehemiah spot where it's instant prayer. When the Bible teaches us to pray without ceasing, it's in all moments you're just talking with the Lord in the normal daily flow of life all the time. That God would be opening doors and helping and providing and, and moving on your behalf and give me sensitivity, Lord, to the things that are, you're doing around me. And Well, Nehemiah, here's what he said. I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. That is his mission. Nehemiah understands what God has done in his life. God has spoken definitively to his heart. Nehemiah, go back and rebuild. The obstacle is still the king. He has to have permission from the king or he's going nowhere. 
So he's been asking for this moment. Now he asks it very boldly, very distinctly, Lord, send me. Then the king said to to me, the queen was sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. You learn later in the chapters that, dude, he was gone like 12 years. And then he comes back for a short bit and then he's gone again. So I don't know if they set all that time, but they set a time and they agreed to it and Nehemiah was gone. And got full permission. But this is where it's cool. Nehemiah didn't just get sent away of, yeah, hey, good luck with your journey. Have a good one. No. Then he asked more because he needs the king to back this thing. And this is where we come before our king on the throne of heaven. And we can come and say, Lord, send me. If I'm not part of the equation, then what am I asking for here? Lord, please tell them and fix them and do them, them, them. No, it's Lord, send me. And now God's going to do supernatural stuff here. And he says, now give me. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to be to me according to the good hand of my God upon me, key phrase. All of this provision is made because the good hand of God is upon this situation. It's on Nehemiah. The hand of God is on Artaxerxes. When he made his request, the king strikes out the letter and says, here you go. And he now has not only safe passage. It's a long journey. He's going to go about a thousand miles to get back all the way to Jerusalem. He's going to get a military escort because he's being treated as a governor. He will now give the letter from the king to all of the governors as he goes for the authority of safe passage all the way. But not only that, even the provision of the things to rebuild. Nehemiah didn't even know what he was walking back into, but he knew this. If the gates have been burned and the internals of the city are wrecked, he's going to need some material. We can't just start standing bricks back up. We're going to need some wood to go with it. And so he even asked for permission that the king would grant the use of the king's forest and provide all the material. No problem. The king scratches out the letters and sends him on he goes. He now has passage. He has provision. He has people. He has everything that he needs. And now God is sending him back to do a miraculous work that only God can do. And the hand of the Lord is on him. There's no question God's hand is on. That's a good prayer request right there. Lord, that your hand may be upon me. Your hand upon us. Asking definitively for something specific. You know, something I learned in the book of Mark when you watch Jesus dealing with people is learning to pray specific so that these prayers are answerable. I would know it if God answered my prayer. Not just, Lord, please bless me. Please help me. He does all the time. But no, these are prayers that are very specific. You would know when he answers it. It's like having a police officer hand you a piece of paper with a signature and the stamp that now greases the rails for adoption. That's very specific. You know, Jesus had this happen with him where a blind man approached him. And you know what Jesus does? It would seemingly be so obvious what needs to happen here. But Jesus says, what is it you want me to do for you? Well, it's obvious I need to be able to see. No, but he wanted him to say it. Why? 
Because by faith he would ask for the impossible thing from God that he would know this is of God and not of men. And he said, Lord, that I might see. And Jesus did what he can do and he could see. But he had to ask specifically and God answered that and granted it. But now Nehemiah goes in the authority of the king. He says, then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and I gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Now he's going with authority and power at the same time. Now, as we can all imagine, this sounds like such a cool glory story and it is. But when God's on the move, the hand of God is upon. And now what's going to happen? Opposition going to come in fast. The enemy doesn't like it because God's doing something. This city that has been laying in waste for all these years, the enemy never wants to see it stand up. This city used to represent the great glory of God. And now this is a real key point right here. Because if you're seeing sometimes your own life in the place of of, of the city that's broken down and without walls, and you have no rule over your own spirit, and God's stirring in your heart, and you've got things happening, you're trying to figure out this Christian life, and why am I up and down, and why are things the way they are, and I can't seem to get a handle on it, but I want to. And the second that want to kicks into gear in your heart, and you believe, in, or you're, you're trusting God, you just don't see how this is all going to work out yet. The enemy is going to flood you. He's going to flood you with discouragement, And he's not going to like it one bit because why? Because if he can get you to stay in the place where you just kind of lay in sorrow of heart and brokenness and reproach, that's ideal for the enemy because why? He wants to just keep robbing the glory of God. It is why the scripture teaches that our enemy, the devil himself, is before God day and night accusing the brethren, constantly making accusation, assessing guilt to our account. When God says, no, There is no guilt on their account because I paid for that with the blood of my own son. But the enemy doesn't stop. And he uses people to discourage and circumstances to discourage. It's relentless in the life that we live. It is why we have to lay hold of the fact greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And if we don't believe that is true, we will listen to the messages of everything around us and believe those messages and and then we tank. In verse 9, it says, When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, official, uh, official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. It's like, uh-oh, we have a problem. There's a man here with passion, with calling. It's obvious he's coming with power and authority with the military to back him up. We have a problem. And they immediately begin to start scheming and doing what they need to do to shut it down. Nehemiah now gets to this city, and now he's going to survey the situation. It's time to take inventory. This is very personal. It's personal in all of our lives. It's personal from a standpoint of maybe observing out in our community throughout this world where it would seem in a spiritual city's broken down without walls. People with no confidence in their salvation or not, no knowledge of salvation. No heart for praise, no mouth for praise, really nothing. And we see the lostness of man. But there's a personal component in this as well. When we see ourselves potentially as a city broken down and without walls. And no rule over our spirit. And now we need to take some inventory of what's brewing on the inside. 
You know, there's been several guys coming to my home every Thursday night. We've been going through a series, the Conqueror series, which I think has been fantastic. And in part of that series, it's been focusing our attention on sexual integrity. But through this whole thing, we have learned as men that the appetites and the habits and the addictive behaviors, and no matter what they look like, whether they're substances or sex or all the other things that can go with addictive behaviors, acting out with anger and frustration and seem depression that can come off of that, what we begin to learn as we've gone through this study together is it often roots itself back somewhere over here where there's a, a sorrow, a shame, or a guilt that has taken place in life and we have found ways to medicate that that makes us feel good. It can also be even things that we associate that are very uh, exciting and very happy occasions. So even in the moments where we're celebrating a great victory or in the same moment we can be lonely and angry and we're discouraged and so what happens when we when we find ourselves in those spots we run back to medicate the way we've always known and so the issue then of acting out sexually which is what we've been discussing so much it it seems to be a moral problem and the church certainly labels it as such but there's also a lot going on inside of our minds that we're trying to understand. Why do we keep going back to the things we go back to when we know we don't want to? As a matter of fact, we hate it that we do. And what I'm looking at, it looks like Nehemiah's day. It's a city broken down without walls. No rule over our own spirit. We say we don't want to be this, but we are. Why? And we, we trace back some steps. And here's what Nehemiah is going to do. Nehemiah is going to do, as a good leader would here, he's going to take some inventory of the city and see what's happening. Let's read, and maybe I can illustrate. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. That's important. The city of Jerusalem is as good as dead. But three days are going to pass by, and a revival is about to begin. Because three days is always the term in the Bible that sets you up for a revival. When you and I in this room lay claim to the victory that happened on the third day when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the grave, you will experience a genuine revival. It's after three days. He said, then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. This is important. To consider God's doing something in Nehemiah's heart. Nehemiah is about to lead a construction project that's massive. God's been working in him. God has revealed this to him. But he didn't bother to tell anybody else. He didn't even tell the entire entourage that was with him the reason why we're going back. He just had letters of authority to go back. And he's now taking inventory of the situation and quietly figuring this thing out with God. What do we do here so that he can now appropriately rally the team? Why does this matter? You know, something I've learned through the years is when God is doing some things in my heart and I don't really understand what all that is, it's not the right time to talk about it. And I find this interesting in our culture because in the, even in the Christian community, there's all this pressure that if you come together in a group and you don't vent all of your heart, it's as if you're not transparent and you're not being authentic and you're not real. Well, I get the playing the masquerade game. That's not good for us either. 
But there's times when God's doing something in your heart and God's leading some things and God's exposing some things and God's nurturing some things here and God's healing some things. It's not quite yet the right time to talk about it. And it's okay to understand and to take the inventory and figure out what's happening here. And as God then lays that out clear, now we can speak into it and understand, yes, let's rise up and build. Let's do this. But over here, it's not yet quite right, excuse me, the right time to talk about it. Nehemiah gets on his animal and rides. And it says, and I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuge gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, its gates, which were burned with fire. And then I, I went out to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal under me to pass. Nehemiah begins his journey through the city, through the valley gate, which is the lowest place. I'm not going to spend detailed time today about all these gates and wall pieces because we're going to do that in the weeks to come. But they're significant. Nehemiah chooses the low place. Let's call it the gate of humility. It's the appropriate place to begin. By humility, he rides in to see brokenness. And quite frankly, it's the place of humility that allows us to see brokenness. When we, when we swell in pride and we try to close everybody out, close out God, we close out everything, and we're going to figure it all out. And not even giving God room to figure it out with us, it's a prideful place and it's not a healthy place. Nehemiah enters through the place of humility and he goes specifically one thing to the next and to the next. And they're called out by name because they're significant to the nation of Israel. But they are going to bear significance to us as we study them as well. But he went to the serpent well. He went to the refuge gate. He goes to the fountain gate. He goes to the king's pool. These are places that were known to be the refuge gate. This is the, the trash gate where you're going to put all the stuff out of the city. But there's no gate there. So now it's like all the, the unclean things have just free, filter, free reign in your life. This would be, if I have no rule over my own spirit, these would be unclean things that I just allow constantly coming into my life. And I, I, it's almost like I live by them and obey them. And I, I keep shoving them out the door. I don't want that junk in my life. But I have no gate. There's no, access, no controlled access point. So they just keep coming back. It's that fountain gate that's not even there. And that used to be the gate of, of water where the waterway would come through. And well, it's not now. There, this flow of living water is not flowing like it was. And, and the serpent well, which is beautiful spring that would spring up this water, is not quenching the thirst of my soul. And all these things are broken down and just crushed. And as you see them all called out by name, I want you to consider maybe on a, a personal level today, have you ever sat down and made a list of the significant traumatic moments of life? They could be moments where there was abandonment, times when you were left unprotected, where you were violated by someone else, you suffered significant loss, you were passed over, one thing after the other. You fill in the blanks. Significant traumas, it helps. In the way Nehemiah went about this, he just made an inventory. He could see distinctly the major places that the enemy attacked strategically, crushed it, 
And they could have just ripped the gates off the hinges, but no, to make a point, they burned them. And these are places where we've been burned. And they still hurt. And for some reason, every time we kind of get discouraged or there's a moment in life where we're celebrating something or, or things just start, I don't know, it just doesn't feel secure. We run back into that spot and this place of broken down walls and gates and insecurity starts to mount. And then what? We act out on that. Maybe it's an emotional acting out. We get really depressed and discouraged. Or maybe we act out and do things we never thought we would do. Why? Because the enemy was very strategic in taking these key places in our lives. And we might have suffered a significant hit there. I found in my own heart it's helpful for me to recount those things because here's what happens. It allows me to go back and I can notice whenever um, my heart is shifting about something and I can now take that to the Lord promptly because I have the potential to go down a road that would be unhealthy for me. And maybe it's not big traumas in life. We've learned some of this on Thursdays, which I think has been so cool, but there's also a lot of small, small traumas like just the ongoing rejections demeaning conversations being compared all the time from one to the other it's kind of the death by a thousand cuts but those things start to mound up as well and then all of a sudden once that has accumulated enough there's an acting out that goes out with that as well that's it's just not who I am that's it's not becoming of me as a Christ follower why am I even doing this Nehemiah was very strategic he went through the gate of humility took inventory of the whole situation because he's going to rebuild and he's going to need to lead a team here to act to rebuild. And this is the part I want us to see is to set your mind to build. This may be the building of you in your own heart, your own life, your mind. It may be this building that God's leading you as like Nehemiah, as a leader to build in the lives of other people. Ministry of discipleship, it's, it's ministry sometimes in counsel. It's, it's ministry where you're taking the gospel of people that don't even know the good news of Jesus and their, their entire life is laying in brokenness and ruin and destruction and they have no idea that there's hope in Christ and yet we possess that. And so it's, it's setting my mind then to build. Lord, send me. And you're asking then for all the provision to go forward to rebuild, maybe in some others' lives as well. In verse 17, it says, Then I said to, to them, You see the distress that we're in and how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. And you know what their response is? When they hear of God's goodness, they hear of God's grace, they hear of the God, king's provision, all of this of the hand of God, how can you deny the power of God? They said, let's rise up and build. And they're anxious to get going. Then they set their hands to the work. And there was a commitment of heart. And this is what happens when we come together like this and the word of God is open and exposed. And all of a sudden God teaches us something about things that are going on and maybe on the inside. 
And you know what God screams out through the power of his Holy Spirit in your life? If you're identifying some key things that really hurt, things you run back to, things that cause you to act out and you don't even understand why, is God screaming out in your heart saying, let's rise up and build. And Jesus reminds us that he is the great builder. And he is the king on the throne. And that we have open access to the king at all times. And all provision and protection is in him. And we have this new life in him. A revival, literally, to take place in the name of Jesus. And just as quick as the people responded with an affirming, let's do this thing, let's go. The enemy hears it. And here they come. Here comes the tidal wave. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab, now we added one, heard of it, they laughed at us, despised us and said, what's this thing you're doing? You're going to rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. And you know, this is a powerful statement here. I love this part so much. Because Nehemiah is bold to stand in the face of the enemy and say, you have no right here. Out. This project is for the people of God to rebuild and experience the revival in this enemy that is coming, that is wanting to despise, to oppress, to disturb, to wreck the whole thing and cause discouragement among the people. Nehemiah sets it in order right now. No, you're not going to infiltrate and be a part of it. You're not going to work alongside of us. You're not going to lay claim to it. You are not welcome here. And he puts them out. And I love this because it reminds me of James 4, 7 that teaches us, when I submit, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Because why? He has no power in the face of the authority of the word of God. And this is why it is so vital as Christ followers, we build our lives firm on the foundation of the scripture, truth of God's word. Because why? When I believe this and I hear the voices of everything around me and others that would despise and others that will make fun and others that are going to mock and others that are going to tell me I can't do something and I can look back and say, no, but the hand of God is on that. And I've seen God do this and I can proclaim it from the authority of the king, my king, Jesus. I can stand on the authority of the king and know that, no, I'm going to rise up and build. On the name of Jesus Christ, we'll rise up and build. And I can look at the enemy and say, you have no, no right here. You have no memorial here. You have nothing here. No presence here. And we are instructed in Scripture. We have that kind of power and authority in the name of Jesus Christ. And God wants us to have that type of confidence. That we would not be people who have no rule over our own spirit. Like a city broken down without walls. But instead, we'd be a, a city that has the salvation secure and its gates of praise are secure and we have this revealing this glory of God. Why? Because all of our lives will be just perfect in this nice little romantic story? No! It's because we stand in the name of God and stand on the firm truth of God's word and when all the enemy comes against and even from the things from within come against and we, we continue to go back and say, God, but I believe your truth and I resist that. I just want to walk in your way. You know what God does? He brings then that security into our lives. That's why when we struggle with anxiety, be anxious for nothing. But by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. 
And the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. It is exactly what God wants to do. I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you to maybe make an inventory like Nehemiah did. Maybe you need to make an inventory of the significant hits on your heart. And it may be hard to even understand how are those still impacting me today, but you know what you'll discover? When you can easily make a list of them, you'll remember them, and they are on recall. They seem to come back. They surface up pretty quick. In the right moment, they surface up quick. Maybe if you're, if you're ready to do this, you can also take those and now establish a principle of truth, a Bible principled truth that you can apply directly to that and lay a claim of promise directly to that and speak that promise into that trauma and lay claim to exactly what Nehemiah is about to do. If this is your first time to be with us at One Community, I want to just say welcome, but at the same time, I want to invite you on a journey because starting next week, we start building the walls of Jerusalem and going through each one of these pieces that kind of dives into the issues of our hearts. That God wants to take a group of people and infuse his life, his spirit, revival among us. Why? That the name of Jesus Christ be glorified in his church. That's why. This morning, if you're a Christ follower, I just want to encourage you today, be watchful for those whose countenance has fallen that maybe they need you to be the channel of blessing in their life. I challenge you as a Christ follower to look back into the, maybe the traumas, the big heart impacts. Maybe it's a lot of the little ones that have accumulated. But the things that pop to the surface that in the times of testing seem to always flood to the front. Today, if you're not a Christ follower yet, but you don't, this whole idea of being forgiven by Jesus and having the promise and hope of eternal life, knowing that I'm forgiven, that my slate's wiped clean and that God sees me for who I am but still loves me this way, let me just share with you the good news of Jesus. And it is this. God himself came to this planet to save us from our sin. We couldn't save ourselves. There's nothing good that we could ever do to impress God. We couldn't live an entire lifetime accumulating even seemed perfection. It wouldn't be enough. We have violated God, every one of us in this room. Jesus came to this planet on a mission to pay the sin debt for mankind. The debt required death, so he died on purpose to pay your debt and to pay mine. If that was the end of the story, it wouldn't be that great of a story because a lot of men have died through the years for religious causes. But Jesus Christ rose from the grave alive on the third day. And because he did, he gives us the promise, the hope, and the security of eternal life. Declares the victory over sin, declares victory over death, declares victory over hell. All of the things that seem to hold us in bondage, he declares victory over all of it and conquered it all in the death, burial, and resurrection. And the Father says anyone who comes 
to me must come through the Son, right? So by faith, we trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And by believing on him, we believe at the heart level. God says, not only are we forgiven, but we're saved. Saved alive forever. It's an eternal decision of faith that we make at the heart level. Have you made that decision of faith at the heart level? Not here, but here. Where you've declared in your heart your allegiance to Jesus. I want to follow him. I believe him. I trust him and him alone. Maybe that's a conversation you need to have with Jesus today. And just call upon his name and ask him. Ask him to save you. Confess where you're at in life. And he will, he will hear every bit of that. Time to be honest. 